Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us. And this is part three on the subject of humility. And I'm calling humility the battle of all humanity. Now, this is one of those battles that you may as well get ready to fight it your entire life. Now, I used to think, you know, this is a problem with young people, right? That they're young, they're ambitious, they're full of themselves. But I found out, you know, this is not just a problem with young people. Uh, this can be a problem with old people, right? Uh, maybe you're listening to me today and you're saying, well, I remember the good old days. And, uh, and, and you're so proud of what you used to do in the good old days when you were fit and you were trim and, uh, and used to accomplish great things and you were just full of yourself. And not, not as you got older, uh, you constantly want to go back to the good old days. Well, I want to let you know something. These are the good old days. And uh, I want to encourage you to always look forward. Look to the future. The future is always going to be better. And the reason the future is always going to be better is because we are one day closer to completing the task that God has placed before us. And so we understand that sin has wreaked havoc in our lives. And because of one man, Adam, sin has come into human nature and and death through sin. And all of us have sinned and all of us are going to die a physical death because of sin. We don't have to die that spiritual death. I want you to know that when God originally created the world, death and disease and, and decay did not exist on this planet. There was no kind of sickness. When you think about all the things we struggle with, no coronavirus, no viruses at all, no handicaps, no Down syndrome, no autism, uh, none of these things. You think about all the things that we battle with, right? All because of sin. And I want you to know that as we look at this subject of humility, there's three things that I want to drive home with humility. First of all, what it is, and humility really begins with God. It's the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. It starts with God. It doesn't start with ourselves. I don't think that you can ever become truly a person of humility unless the Spirit of God is living within you. So maybe you're listening to me today and said, man, I, I've got a, this issue of pride and it's got me in a world of trouble. It's cost me a job. It's cost me a relationship. It's cost me my marriage. Uh, it's cost me some finances. It's cost me a whole lot. And I need to make a change in my life. Listen, the Lord will take you right where you are. Now, that's the great thing about understanding a relationship with Christ. You don't have to wait till you're good enough for him to accept you. He takes you just as you are. Now, the Bible is very clear about what salvation is. Salvation is acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried that he rose again three days later, according to the scriptures. And if you will put your faith and trust in him. Now, I know that's a big step of humility. I was talking to a guy just this weekend. He came to our services and I was talking to him about salvation. And, and he said, man, I, I, I can never be good enough to be a Christian. I said, you're right. You can never be good enough to be a Christian. God accepts you just as you are. So I'm praying for this guy, and, and I shared the gospel with him, and I'm praying that he will realize that he can no longer trust himself to be a Christian. It's a transfer of trust. I'm going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I can't save myself. Now, listen, I can't even figure out the most basic things. I can't even figure out half the things my minivan can do. All right? I don't have that ability to figure it out, but I still use that minivan. I still drive all over Hampton Roads and take advantage of the great features. You know, I don't understand all of them. I don't understand everything that there's about God. But I know one thing. He loves me. I know he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Now, I don't know why he'd do that, but he did. And I put my faith in him. I put my confidence in him. Every time you flip a light switch, you may not understand everything there is about electricity, but you sure enjoy having that light come on. That's the same with my walk with Christ. 
I was walking in darkness, but now I see the light. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I don't have it all figured out, but I know one thing. I was a sinner. I was separated from him. My sin was costing me more than I wanted to pay. It was taking me further than I wanted to go and making me stay a whole lot longer than I should have stayed. The wages of sin was death, broken relationships. But Christ died so that I would never have to die. And so I'm praying that this gentleman I spoke with will receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. Maybe you're listening to me right now and say, I need to receive Christ. You know, you can pray right where you are. Now, if you're driving, you can you can drive with your eyes open. Don't close your eyes and pray. Uh, just keep on driving and, uh, and just cry out to the Lord. Says, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I know that I need to be born again. I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, I'm so excited for you. You're my brother or my sister in Christ. That makes us family members, right? Because we've been both born again by the same Father, and so that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Christ, would you give me a call, 757-421-7500? If I can help you with anything, please call me, 757-421-7500. I pray with you. I've got something I'd like to send you, and if you have questions about what you just did, I'd love to talk to you about that, 757-421-7500. Well, let's talk about the next steps, okay? You just pray to receive Christ, or, or maybe you've known Christ for a long time. That doesn't mean that the battle's over. It's just really beginning. Humility starts with God. Humility is surrendering everything over to Him because He's really given us everything. Now, we're just acknowledging the fact that we're giving it back to Him. When we think about humility, there's a third thing that we need to know. That is, as we become humble, it's the only way to eternal life. John six sixty five. no one can come to me unless he has been granted by my Father. And so Jesus says that when a person gets saved, it's because the Father has granted salvation to that person. And we learned about the fact that it's the only way for our best life. You know, you think about selfishness, that is not the way to your best life. That is the way to the problem-filled life, humility is the way to your best life. And then number three, we want to talk about, well, how do I get it? Uh, Maybe you've listened and you say, okay, I realize that I'm full of myself and and I need to make some changes. Well, let me talk to you what the Bible says. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about this subject of pride. Ultimately, pride is a form of idolatry. We would say it's self-worship. I am putting myself in a place where I am the object of worship. I'm worshiping myself. The Bible spends a lot of time uh, on kings who are overcome with pride and their own power, which gives this incredible attention to the subject, okay? Let's look at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar struggled with pride at the zenith of his power, this great Babylonian king. I mean, he's built a tremendous empire, the, the strongest empire at that time. And in the middle of this great empire, and his, and he's right at the pinnacle of his success, he has this dream. And in this dream, he, he sees this tree. And this tree is huge, right? As a matter of fact, this tree has got a bunch of fruit on it. Uh, there's birds that have found themselves in the branches of this tree. And, and he notices that everyone is coming to this tree. People from all over the entire world are coming to this tree. And it's providing fruit for them. In other words, this tree, it appears, is feeding all the nations. Later in his dream, He watches the tree being cut down, and he's worried as he 
tries to figure out what this means. So he gets his magicians when he wakes up the next morning and and he says, can you tell me what this dream means? And, and none of them could tell him what it meant. Either they couldn't tell him what it meant or they didn't want to go there with the king. And But the prophet Daniel, oh, dare to be a Daniel. I love Daniel. Daniel informs Nebuchadnezzar that he is the tree who will be cut down. Daniel advises him to turn from his sinful ways, to live righteously, to show mercy on the poor, to live a life of humility. Well, he was convicted by the prophet, and he manages to humble himself for a while. But as the Babylonian Empire continues to grow in prosperity, and as his armies continue to win battles all over the world, and and as his building projects come to fruition, one day the king walked out of his palatial palace, and he's standing on the balcony, and, and he takes a look at the glorious kingdom. He makes a proclamation. And he says, is not this a great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Wow, this sounds like the devil, doesn't it? He took irresponsible credit for everything which he was ever given to reign over. And God took him at this precise moment in time and strikes him down. Strikes him down because he was a prideful king. Verse 31 says, While the word was still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you. Now what is following is quite amazing. For seven years, God took away the king's wisdom, his intelligence, and his power And Nebuchadnezzar becomes like a brute animal going around on his hands and his knees. His advisors don't know what to do with him. Uh, They were fearing that if the news got out that the king has gone mad, that the whole kingdom would become destabilized. And they refused to declare the situation to the kingdom's citizens. and, and, And they put him out to pasture in the royal gardens where he went around eating grass like a wild ox. After seven years. God had mercy and restored Nebuchadnezzar back to his wits. But the lesson is clear as the story of the devil in Ezekiel that God is the one who deserves our praises no matter how much power we possess in this world. When God gives us the ability to influence others, we shouldn't treat it as if we did it all on our own. We should use that power with deep humility. Because of this pride, Nebuchadnezzar lost everything. Ultimately, that pride came back in. You know, pride can also bring us to a place where we lose access to the kingdom of God, just as it was with the devil. Now, you remember when Satan fell, they get kicked out of heaven. Remember when Adam and Eve fell, they get kicked out of the garden. Listen, when we're filled with pride, even if you're a believer, it hinders our communication with God. David said, if I regard sin in my life and pride is a sin, if I regard iniquity in my life or sin in my life, God will not hear me. So if you want to be a person that is filled with humility, here's two things that you got to remember. Number one, I've got to be like Jesus all the time in all areas. Notice I said be like Jesus. You can never be Jesus, okay? Uh, We can be like him. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus being found in the appearance as a man humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I know Jesus was very humble because he said in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 to 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Oh, I love this passage where we're yoking up with Christ and we're learning from him. And what happens, you know, when you think about yoking up two animals, and if you're not from a farming background, this may not have the punch that Jesus is giving us with this analogy of yoking up, but you would never yoke up an oxen with a rabbit, for example, right? Two different animals, two different temperaments, two different sizes. You know, the ox will tower over the rabbit, and uh, the, the rabbit would just be consumed if he teamed up with an ox. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus, I am becoming gentle and humble so that you can yoke up with me. Jesus, his essence is saying, you know, you can't become like me, so I'm going to become like you so that you can find rest for your souls. Robert Murray McShaney said this, referring to pastors, and maybe we have a pastor that's listening, and he says, I see a man cannot be a faithful minister until he preaches Christ for Christ's sake, until he gives up striving to attract people to himself and seeks only to attract them to Christ. When I'm like Jesus all the time, I'm humbling myself. I'm not really thinking about myself at all. I'm not thinking lowly of myself. I'm not thinking, woe is me. I'm just not thinking about myself at all. I'm thinking about Jesus. And I'm thinking that my job in this life is to be like Jesus and to carry out the message and to attract people to Christ, not to me. You know, sometimes people come to our church and and they get saved and then they go to another church. And, uh, you know, that used to bother me. But, you know, it doesn't bother me anymore because I realize that if a person gets saved and they go to another church, and that's a win-win. We have a brother or sister that we've gained in Christ, and they're going to be a blessing to another church. And I think that sometimes we get people that come to our church that we're saved in another ministry. A win-win. I think the goal is to, to be where the Lord wants you to be. Be right smack dab in the center of his will. Now, don't be hopping around to every church in town, right? Too many people do that. They they hop from here to there. Uh, listen, the Easter bunny's over. Easter is over. Uh, it's time to stop the hopping around, right? Be faithful to where God has called you. Uh, be a servant. Be like Christ. And be like Jesus all the time. But there's another way that we can get humility. And number one, we've got to be like Jesus all the time in all years. Number two, we must confess and denounce all pride. Now, don't just restrain it. Replace it with gentleness. Peel off the pride so that you can put on humility. You see, being a Christian is not an ego thing. Now, a lot of people accuse Christians of claiming salvation and then thinking that that makes them better than anybody else. You know, it's actually just the opposite. As Christians, we simply know that we have a sin problem, and we know who can fix it. In Matthew 23, it says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. Andrew Murray put it this way when he wrote, Humility. The place of entire dependence on God is, from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature, 
and the root of every virtue. And so pride, or the loss of this humility, is the root of every sin and evil. That's why we learn in 1 John chapter 2 that we're not to love the world, don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out the love of the Father. Practically everything that the world has or that goes on in the world, wanting your own way and wanting everything for yourself and wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Wow. That's 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, and that's in the message translation. Oh, I love how Eugene Peterson put that all together for us. What a blessing that is. Well, listen, if you want to overcome humility, you got to admit your struggle. John says, he must increase, I must decrease. Like the morning star, John was fading from view as the sun rose up in the sky, and, and John's being pushed to the back but Christ is being increased. Oh, I love that. I I want you to know John had not yet been thrown into prison when he said that. He was getting ready to be thrown into prison, Uh, but he realized that Christ was coming to be the Savior of the world, and his job was simply to be the forerunner. He was the, the announcer that went ahead and said, prepare for the Lord. He's coming. Get ready. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. John's mission was just about done, and so he ends up going into prison. And as he's in prison, even then, he realizes that he is under the sovereign care of the Savior. I want you to know, you can become filled with humility. Now, I have a little thing I'd like to send you if you're interested in having this. And I've called it the 12 Steps Toward Gaining Humility. Now, I'm not sure where I got this. I got it from several different places and kind of just put it together, okay? But these are 12 Steps Toward Gaining Humility, and I think these will really help you. So if you'd like me to send this to you by email, uh, you can shoot me an email and uh, onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. Onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. Just spell out the word one, and, uh, and I'll send this to you by an email. If you want to call me, 757-421-7500, and say, hey, can you send me the 12 steps toward gaining humility? If you want me to put it in the mail for you, I'll put it in the old-fashioned snail mail if that's easier for you, or I'll send it to you as an email, okay? Uh, Just reach out to me if you want these 12 steps, okay? I'm going to give it to you real quickly. Uh, Number one, if you want to be humble, routinely confess your sin to God. You see, all of us sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God. However, too few of us have a routine of self-honest examination. So daily or weekly, review your heart and your behavior and confess it to God. And that's in Luke 18, 9 through 14. And number two, acknowledge your sin to others. James 5, 16, James 3, 2. You know, humility before God is not complete unless there is also humility before men. A true test of our willingness to humble ourselves is that willingness to share with others the weaknesses that we confess to God. So number one, routinely confess your sin. Number two, acknowledge your sin to others. Number three, take wrong patiently. This is 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. When someone is unjust, we want to react and we want to rectify it. However, those who understand humility patiently respond. When they are unjustly accused of something, They are patient, 
to that wrong. Number three, actively submit to authority, the good and the bad. First Peter 2.18. You see, our culture values not submission. Our culture promotes individualism. However, we've got to understand that God places authority over us, and it's a way that he's done it to allow us to learn to be submissive. You will never submit to God unless you're willing to submit to the authority that he has placed over us, even the bad authority, because the powers that be are ordained of God. But number five, receive correction and feedback from others graciously. You know, one pastor was noted for graciously receiving any negative feedback. Anytime somebody gave him criticism, he would simply say, thank you for caring enough to share that with me. I will pray about it and I'll get back to you. Look for that kernel of truth in whatever people offer you. Even if it comes from a dubious source, always pray, Lord, what are you trying to show me through this? Number six, accept a lowly place. Proverbs 25 verses six and seven. If you find yourself waiting to sit at the head of the table, wanting others to recognize your contribution or become offended when others are honored or chosen, then pride is present. Purpose to support others being recognized rather than you. Accept and look for the lowly place. It is the place of humility. Number seven, purposely associate with people of lower estate than you. You know, Jesus was derided by the Pharisees, and the reason he was derided by the Pharisees is because he socialized with the poor, those of a lowly state. You see, our culture seems to be very status conscious. People naturally want to socialize upward. Resist that temptation of being partial to those with status or wealth. Number eight, choose to serve others. You see, when we serve others, we are serving God's purpose in their lives. Doing so reduces our focus on ourselves and builds the kingdom of God. When serving another costs us nothing, we should question whether it is really servanthood at all. Matthew 23, verse 11, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, and Philippians 1, verse 1. Number nine, be quick to forgive. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. You see, forgiveness is possibly one of the greatest acts of humility that we can do. To forgive is to acknowledge a wrong that has been done to us and and also to release our right to repay that wrong. Forgiveness is denial of self. Forgiveness is not insisting on my own way. It's not even insisting on justice. It is offering forgiveness. It is a gift never earned. Number 10, cultivate a grateful heart. You see, the more we develop an attitude of gratitude for the gift of salvation and of life that God has given us, the more true is our perspective of ourselves. Our grateful heart is always a humble heart. Number 11, purpose to speak well of others. You know, saying negative things about others puts them down. Putting one down is putting one up. You know, speaking well of others edifies them and builds them up. Make sure, however, that what you say is not intended as flattery. We speak the truth and love, but we are doing it to build somebody out, not to knock them down so that we can have a temporary buildup of ourselves. Purpose to speak well of others. And then number 12, treat pride as the condition that always necessitates embracing the cross. In Luke 9, 23, you see, it is our nature to be prideful. 
and it's God's nature in us that brings humility. Committing to a lifestyle of daily dying to ourselves and living through Him is the foundation for true humility. Well, if you'd like to have those 12 steps toward gaining humility, shoot me an email or give me a call. The email is onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. One hope for your heart at gmail.com. You can call me at 757-421-7500. Uh, if it goes into voicemail, just leave me a message and I'll get it the next day. Uh, or you can uh, leave a message with whoever picks up the phone if you call uh, during business hours. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. I want to pray that God fills you with the spirit of humility. You know, where there is pride, there's going to be a fall. And before that fall takes place, there's always this haughty spirit. Before that fall takes place, we well up with pride. Pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. So it begins with a haughty spirit, and that overtakes us, and then we fall. Ah, but I want you to know, we can overcome pride. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can gain the humility of Christ himself. Well, thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. I'm praying for you. Looking forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.